is Jerry DiPiano, and you are listening to the Love Mia Vita podcast. Today's guest is Dr. Catherine Sharif. Dr. Sharif is a professor of medicine and vice chair of academic affairs in the Department of Medicine at Thomas Jefferson University. Dr. Sharif has advanced the understanding that women's health encompasses more than reproductive health and that the so-called sex hormones have significant clinical effects on all organ systems. Dr. Sharif has promoted the idea that conditions such as polycystic ovary syndrome represent a paradigm of women's health in that changes in sex hormones which regulate menstruation also affect critical non-reproductive health outcomes such as carbohydrate metabolism, blood pressure, and lipids. And in case you're wondering what our podcast is about today, we're going to talk about polycystic ovary syndrome, also known as PCOS. Catherine, welcome to the Love Mia Vita podcast, and thank you so much for joining me as our guest. Thank you so much, Jerry, and um, it's a pleasure to be here uh, to talk about PCOS. So you've done you've done a lot of work in PCOS. You present around the country and throughout the world, and obviously you care for women um, that have PCOS, but many other metabolic issues. And and your larger view of women's health care is what's really important. So we we often think about women's health care and we think about diseases that are below the belt, but don't necessarily impact the total woman. And your approach is very holistic, which is one of the, the reasons we love working with you. Well, thank you. Um, I remember when I was in medical school and someone brought up uh, women's health and the professor said, are you trying to tell me that uh, a woman's liver is different from a man's liver? And at the time, there was no known differences, but in fact, there are differences. Every single organ and organ system in the body is affected by sex hormones. And obviously, those sex hormones, we, we think about the brain and we think about this, the link between estrogen and serotonin, and we think about the changes that occur during the menstrual cycle and the transitions that occur in women's lives when hormone levels rise or decline or change and different hormones are present. And in the case of PCOS, I'm sure it's sometimes very confusing for women who aren't quite sure what it is that they're experiencing. So what are the common signs and symptoms of PCOS? Uh, the most common signs and symptoms are um, irregular periods. And by irregular, I mean that they don't come every 28 to 32 days, uh, but it could be longer or shorter than that. Or you could have monthly periods every 28 day periods. And then after three or four months, you skip a period. That's not really normal. Um, so that's uh, so uh, people's periods may differ, but the, what they have in common is they're not every 28 to 32 days. Um, the next most common symptoms are due to the high testosterone of PCOS. And you can have one, another, or all of these symptoms. Uh, one would be uh, 
lack of hair, so uh, alopecia, that's hair loss, and that's caused by testosterone. Another symptom is hirsutism, which is growing hair in places that girls don't usually get hair, like for example, the front of your chest. Um, hair around the nipples is, is actually pretty common and that's not due to testosterone. Um, but if you have one spiky hair on your chest, then uh, that is more goes along with a high testosterone. High testosterone also causes cystic acne. And what I've noticed is that so many women who were on Accutane when they were teenagers are, go on to be diagnosed with PCOS. Um, and then the after periods and then signs of high testosterone, the next most common thing is being overweight. So this can really be confusing to younger women in particular because they're not quite certain what's going on with their menstrual cycles. So as they think, we think about teenagers and we think about changes in our hormone levels and the appearance of acne is sometimes considered, well, that's normal. You have, you know, you have oily skin, you have acne, and certainly as marketers of these types of products, we try to normalize it. But I think the constellation of all the symptoms is what you're saying may be indicative of something that's not just a transition into puberty, but really it could be something that is more likened to the polycystic ovarian syndrome. And it's something that we ought to pay attention to. What, is the, what are the causes of PCOS? Is there a genetic predisposition or are certain women more uh, prone more so to PCOS? Yeah, so the genetics are controversial, um, but there have been genes identified with PCOS, many different genes, which probably accounts for the many different uh, phenotypes uh, that women have. Um, there is also a very, very, very interesting theory about the intestinal microbiome that when you have... Um, dysbiosis, so meaning uh, you, don't, you don't have a large diversity of bacteria and uh, you have some bacteria that don't belong in there or they're in high numbers, or the good bacteria, let's say E. coli turns against you. Um, that would be dysbiosis. So it's not like a healthy garden of bacteria in your colon. So the theory is, is that if you, um, if you have this condition, then those uh, bad bacteria increase inflammation, then inflammation causes insulin resistance, which means that you need more insulin for every meal. And then insulin, uh, and, and when you have more insulin, um, you do metabolize your food. There's no question about it. But the problem is, is that insulin is a growth hormone and it makes you gain weight. And then insulin also does another thing, these high levels of insulin, they go to the ovaries and they tell the ovary, start making testosterone. And then that's when you start to see the other effects. Um, but it looks, uh, it, I mean, these are theories, but what's interesting is um, uh, stool transplants in mice. So if you have mice that have PCOS, um, and you give them the stool from mice that do not have PCOS, you do a stool transplant, the PCOS evaporates in the PCOS mice. 
Very interesting, which would which would speak to the need to evaluate your whether you have a diet and that it that is healthy and whether you are using or or perhaps considering uh, a probiotic or something along those lines, correct? So there yes. there may be a natural way to adjust those healthy bacteria, correct? Uh, yes. Uh so um we talked about androgens and, and the androgens are what creates some of the hair growth, right? In the wrong parts, on the wrong parts of the body. And also the hair loss on our head. And so let's talk about androgens. What's, what's going on with androgens and how does that impact our ovaries? Well, the ovaries normally make a little bit of testosterone, but in the presence of insulin, the ovaries manufacture a lot of testosterone. And that is a separate part of the ovary from where the follicles are. Um, so these are the eggs that want to compete to become the egg of the month. And the uh, when the follicles um, see testosterone in the ovary, they are, their, their maturation is arrested. And these are the so-called cysts. Uh, they're not really cysts. They're just follicles that never developed. And, and they're, they're kind of frozen in time and um, they're never more than a centimeter or less than half an inch. They, so in PCOS, they will not hurt you. They will not interfere with fertility. They will not rupture. Um, so that, so too much testosterone inhibits uh, folliculogenesis. And, and for those that don't have their medical dictionaries handy, what is folliculogenesis? Oh, folliculogenesis is, uh, so you have the follicles and we are born with millions of follicles. And um, then uh, they go, they, they're called like a, uh, an oocyte and then a primary oocyte and then a secondary oocyte and so on as their maturation, as they're trying to become a full-fledged egg. Thank you. Mm -hmm. So when, when we, um, we talked about irregular menstrual periods and we, we often hear that irregular menstrual periods may lead to infertility. And in some women, the development of small fluid-filled sacs in the ovaries. What, what are the other things that women ought to pay attention to with respect to their irregular periods? And it doesn't have to be necessarily a young woman. So PCOS um, can be present in mm -hmm. a variety of age group cohorts, correct? Yes. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and one scenario that I uh, often see well, this is like every day. Someone had irregular periods as a teen. She was put on the pill at 15. She stayed on the pill and then at 27 decided to go off. And when she went off, her periods were irregular. Um, and then when she asks the doctor, why is that? They say, well, you know, they shrug. You were on the pill for a long time. So it'll take a while for your body to get used to it. And that's not true. If you, uh, if you are ovulating normally, you will shortly start to get your monthly periods after you go off the pill in a, you know, at least a month or at the latest in a month. Um, so 
so sometimes the pill uh, protects women by suppressing testosterone, and then they go off and then they develop a lot of uh, hair loss and acne and hirsutism. So when, if you are a woman who is, let's say you're one of, you're a young woman who was put on the birth control pill at 15 or 16 because you have irregular periods, will that mask some of the symptoms that you had mentioned, the signs and symptoms that you had mentioned earlier? Yes, because the birth control pill, even the low dose birth control pills that we have today are about five times the physiologic levels of estrogen that we have. So that's a lot more estrogen. Um, and uh, what it does is it suppresses testosterone. Um, it puts the ovaries to sleep and it binds up the testosterone. It, in, it uh, increases um, a, a protein called sex hormone binding globulin. Uh, this is estrogen does. And then sex hormone binding globulin binds up testosterone. So if you're, if you're a young woman, I guess the message is if you're a young woman and you have irregular periods and you start to observe those signs, it may be, you may be well served to visit someone that can do a, a workup to be certain that what you aren't doing is masking some of the symptoms of PCOS. Does that seem reasonable? It's really reasonable, but what happens frequently, uh, in fact, uh, this is the majority of the time, is that uh, you know uh, the physicians are overscheduled and they'll say, okay, uh, go on the pill, and um, you know uh, th this will quote unquote regulate your periods, and that sounds perfectly reasonable. Except what what we're not doing is um, looking for things. Uh, like pre-diabetes um, and, and uh, the number of young girls who have pre-diabetes or who have fatty liver in their teens, it has exploded. So this is more than just a, a nuisance kind of thing. So if you, if, if you are young and you're experiencing these symptoms and you don't have a full workup, you end up with exacerbation of other problems. And we know that PCOS, there are some health risks that you, you just mentioned a couple of them, but there, there are many other health risks for women. And perhaps we should have you speak to some of the health risks that women um, should be attentive to, because again, we shouldn't be masking this problem by the time a woman is 26 or 28 or 32, and she's lived with this condition for let's say 10 years, she's probably at a point where now she has exacerbated some pretty serious problems, correct? That's correct. And the way I think about women with PCOS is that they're the canaries in the coal mine. They start to age faster and uh, before everyone else does. Um, so uh, they're, you know, a 28 year old is not like a 28 year old or 35 year old. Um, the thing I worry about the most is uh, the development of diabetes. And also women with PCOS are three times more likely to develop gestational diabetes. So what we need to do is work with uh, obstetricians, because if someone gets, uh, gets gestational diabetes on your watch, 
before you send them back to uh, after their delivery back to their primary care physician, uh, the question is, do they have PCOS? Um, gestational diabetes is so bad for women, it's bad for the baby. Um, it may confer a lifetime of metabolic problems for the baby. Um, the second thing I worry about is um, fatty liver. So I, I guess it's about one third of Americans, maybe it's more, one third of Americans have fatty liver. Now, when I was a resident 25 years ago, nobody had fatty liver unless they were alcoholic and it was so obvious. Now everyone's got abnormal liver function tests or someone didn't check their liver function tests and uh, they're not in the guidelines. And so many internists and uh, uh, primary care physicians actually don't test for liver function tests um, because there's quote unquote, no indication or it's not evidence-based medicine. Let me tell you something, the, the World Health Organization, I remember in 2010, they said, in 10 years, the number one reason that people are going to get liver transplants is because of fatty liver. And, and they said, this will, be, this will take place in 2020, and it did. It's the number one reason for transplants. So um, it's related to being overweight and to being diabetic. Um, and you can reverse your fatty liver up to a point then you get scarring and you, you get uh, cirrhosis eventually. Um, it's nasty. So uh, those are the two big things I worry about. Then after, once you develop uh, type two diabetes, um, uh, then you're at much higher risk, maybe seven times as uh, more higher risk for coronary artery disease. So there was some information that I saw in the scientific literature. I know we've been hitting hard on birth control pills, but there was some information that I saw in the literature um, that spoke to the use of combined hormonal birth control that can be used for long-term treatment, because there is hope for women with PCOS, and I know you, you see many women, but this actually indicated that um, there, this is hope for women with PCOS who do not wish to get pregnant. And what they assert is that combined hormonal pills that contain both estrogen and progesterone may help to regulate the menstrual cycle and they can reduce hirsutism and acne. They may also reduce the risk of endometrial cancer. So based upon what we just discussed, is this a fallacy? Well, it is true that it will regulate your periods. It is true that taking a birth control pill or any sort of hormonal contraception with estrogen in it will reduce hirsutism, acne, and hair loss, or you know, it'll help mitigate them. Um, what it won't do, oh yes, and endometrial cancer, great. We're probably gonna end up with a lot less endometrial cancer because we have the birth control pill now and people have these organized bleeds. But when you do that, you are not, uh, addressing the insulin resistance. So that, and that is very important. The insulin resistance, the increased risk for the fatty liver, which has significant consequences and the delay in diagnosis, which may mean that when a woman does try to get pregnant, it may be quite difficult, if not impossible. So there may be additional 
intervention that's required in order for all of this to be made possible. So just in case you, you are anyone listening, happens to read about the birth control pill and are curious about this, you heard it from an expert. The, um, there are some things that we can do about polycystic ovarian syndrome. And what are the things that you recommend that are most effective for dealing with PCOS? Well, um, yeah, the way I conceptualize it uh, is you need to make yourself uh, insulin sensitive. Right now you're insulin resistant and you need huge amounts of insulin to metabolize your food. So how do you become insulin sensitive? Because we can't fix your genes, we, not yet, right? And you're not a mouse, we can't do a stool transplant yet. So number one is diet. And I always use the example of half a bagel is 200 calories, three boiled eggs is 200 calories. The bagel is going to break down into glucose and you're going to get a big spike of insulin as opposed to the eggs, right? So you do have to decrease uh, carbohydrates. Um, and I would also strongly urge women uh, to see a dietitian who's uh, knowledgeable about PCOS. Um, and there are many now. Um, the second thing is exercise and when you do uh, strength training or resistance training and you get bigger muscles, you are much more likely to become insulin sensitive than if you do aerobic activity. So don't just do aerobic activity. What's interesting is our muscles um, produce uh, an amino acid called, um, uh, uh, sorry, a sugar called uh, inositol. And Inositol turns out to be an insulin sensitizer. So the bigger your muscles, uh, the more inositol you make. Okay. And that's why some of my patients, just by changing their diet and exercising, um, they uh, start to have monthly periods or th that's when they have monthly periods and they can tell when their weight is too high uh, because they stop menstruating and they go back to the gym. Um, the next uh, thing is sleep. And, um, you know, unless you're a new mother or father, I, I don't see how you can't make sleep a priority. It really is a priority. And it's not something that you can just shave off um, because you got home from work and then you dealt with a number of things, maybe children, maybe not. And then you're so exhausted, and but you want time for yourself. And so you stay up at 11 or 12 when you should be in bed at nine, nine or 10. So we know that people who have sleep deprivation are extremely insulin resistant. And one group of people who have a lot of sleep deprivation are uh, night workers, night shift workers, because they get home and then they don't sleep normally during the day and they gain weight and more and more weight, more and more diabetes. The other thing, the other group that uh, doesn't get quality sleep is women with um, sleep apnea. And we know that testosterone drives sleep apnea. So it's not about uh, gaining weight uh, or around your neck or there's crowding in there. It is testosterone that drives it. So women with PCOS have to treat the um, the uh, 
sleep apnea. They have to get checked for that. And um, they will not uh, be able to conceive. They will not be able to have monthly periods or take care or lose weight unless they treat the sleep apnea. I can't emphasize it enough. Um, the fourth thing would be supplements uh, like inositol. So we happen to have uh, commercial prepar preparations of inositol. Other supplements that help vitamin D is extremely important for insulin resistance, omega-3 fatty acids, and one of my absolute favorites, uh, acetylcysteine, which is a, an amino acid, as you know. Um, and then the fifth thing after supplements is uh, medications. And we have a variety of medications that can help. So those are all really helpful tips for women that may think may have PCOS uh, that have been diagnosed with PCOS. We receive a number of questions um, from women on our chat or a support function at Fem Pharma, uh, which is the sponsor of the Mia Vita podcast. And the questions come from women who are sometimes either in perimenopause and menopause, and they want to know, is this, does, does PCOS continue in perimenopause and menopause? It does continue because if you make it about the ovaries, then it doesn't continue, right? Because your ovaries went, are going to sleep and um, not really producing any hormones. But if you make it about a metabolic problem that affects all your organs and insulin resistance, then no, it absolutely does not go away. So it doesn't go away in perimenopause and menopause, as you, because as you mentioned, it is about a metabolic disorder. That we, we have understood is that there's lack of lubrication, right? So yeah. because of the lack of lubrication, um, women will often say, well, I have PCOS, um, and I feel that I have vaginal dryness, but I'm not really menopausal. So do I need to use something for vaginal moisturization? Yeah. The response is if you have vaginal dryness, you should, should absolutely use something for moisturization of the vagina. And um, you should consult with your healthcare practitioner. That's, we always add that. Yes. Yeah. Um, I agree. And, you know, uh, you know, we have to look at perimenopause or what we call menopause, we have to look at it as a process. Adolescence was a process and menopause is a process. And yes, you can have uh, periods and not be able to conceive and you can have periods and still have hot flashes. So it's, it's a continuum and it's not surprising that you would have some vaginal atrophy, um, yeah. So this is something that, that you may experience, as you indicated, this is a transition and the, the condition of PCOS is a transition that may start in your teens and it can last through perimenopause and menopause um, and past menopause, postmenopausal. And there are things that can be done to ameliorate your symptoms. There are some natural ways in which to approach this. The most important thing that, that a woman can do is to see a healthcare practitioner to obtain a proper diagnosis of this condition so that we're not masking the symptoms and exacerbating them by living with them for an extended period of time. If I understand you correctly, that is the message to our listeners. Yes, that is the message. And if you are in the Philadelphia area or if you are close to Philadelphia, 
one of the adjacent states. Dr. Sharif can be reached at Thomas Jefferson University. She is an expert in this area, but, but really focuses on a holistic approach uh, to women's health care um, that, that looks at all of the ways in which hormones impact women throughout their life and throughout all of the transitions in their life. So Dr. Sharif, Catherine, it's been a pleasure having you on the Love Mia Vita podcast. We hope to have you on once again to enlighten our audience on more subjects that are of interest to women. But I want to thank you on behalf of Fem Pharma Consumer Healthcare. It is always a pleasure to have this opportunity. And we hope that you and our audience will stay well. Thank you so much. Appreciate it.